Welcome back to Dev Dive episode 21. As always, I'm your host, Nighthawk. I'm joined today by my guest, Justin, a.k.a. Riot Xenogenic, and we're here to talk about events in League of Legends, Eternals, and what it means to be a design lead at Riot Games. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. I'm super glad to be here. Yeah, we're really excited. We've been playing this episode for a few weeks now. A um, lot to talk about today. Uh, I think some of the things that with Spirit Blossom wrapping up, I know you said you weren't the uh, design lead on that event in particular, but we'd be glad to have some insights on that. But I think first off, we're going to start with uh, a little bit about your career at Riot so far. So how did you get your start into game dev? Yeah, so I, I have to go way back and talk about this, but I think it's it's good context for anybody who wants to become a game designer. Um, I was about eight, year, eight years old when I got my first book on how to build levels, and I'm going to age myself a little bit here, but this was for Doom. I asked my mom to buy me this book. It teaches you how to make levels, and I made a level in Doom that was like a box with like an one enemy in it, right? But I think that was like my first taste, and I was like, wow, that's really cool to like create my own thing and get to go run around it and quote-unquote play it. Uh, and then from there, I learned how to make levels in uh, Warcraft 2 and StarCraft and Warcraft 3. Uh, Duke 3D, I made a lot of levels in, so on and so forth. So like my whole life, I was just really into building maps and stuff like that. Um, I went to DigiPen because I knew by that point in college, I wanted to be a game developer, didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I was pursuing a programming degree there because uh, that's what they had at the time, no game design. And I left early because I knew I didn't want to be a programmer. They didn't have a design degree. But what was interesting is one of the folks I met while there ended up being a producer, a design producer at a studio called Red 5 working on Firefall. And he remembered me from that time. So lesson one, like networking can be pretty important. Um, and then he said they needed associate level designers. So then I guess lesson, lesson two there would be like figure out what you're really passionate about doing and try to do it from home, whether that's like modeling or programming or, you know, build stuff in Unreal, build stuff in Unity. Because when they asked for me to take their design test, I had never used uh, the TF2 editor, but what they asked me to build sounded like a Team Fortress 2 map. So like in a week, I was able to learn that editor, build a map, script it, everything worked, it looked good. And it was like a pretty easy process to get hired from there. But that was all because like I'd been doing that for a really long time. Uh, so I worked there for... Jeez, six years. I was a level designer at first because of my scripting proficiency. I became a technical designer. I built many of like the quests uh, and uh, you know their attack defend maps, their capture the flag maps, like anything that had to be scripted. I was scripting with basically one other person. Um, and then near the end of my six years there, I guess about the last two years, I became the lead of the combat team. So I was doing weapon design, class design, all that sort of cool stuff. Uh, and then basically burned myself out which is a pretty common story i think from developers tried to go indie after that but as it turns out like being burned out and then trying to become an indie developer is like the wrong way to do it <laughs> i was way too burned out to like take all that extra load like if you want marketing materials for your indie game you got to make them if you want to do interviews you got to do them like it's it was way too much but i did that for a while uh, we shipped the tower defense game on steam and then that brought me to applying at Riot, where at that point, a lot of my former Red 5 co colleagues had, had come there, and they told me good things about it. So I thought, cool, I'll take a shot at that. Um, they have a pretty rigorous pipeline, right? Like a bunch of phone calls, design tests, seven-hour on-site, but all of that went pretty well, and I got hired. But what was interesting about that is I was hired to join an R&D team, I think because of my like scripting skills, my proficiency with like prototyping and stuff, I'd be a good fit for R&D. And then they uh, they called me before I took that job and said, hey, we're probably not going to pursue that project. So even though we hired you, you need to come back in, talk to us, figure out like which team you want to go on, which is like a, the best fit for both parties. Uh, thankfully, I still had a job. 
Uh, so it was during that time that I was talking to you, like what is now Valorant and some of our other projects and League of Legends. But what was interesting for me was as a designer of like nine years at that point, I actually wanted to go to League because it was so well established. They have such a good design team. And I wanted to come in and just like read their documents, like drink from that well of knowledge and try to become a better designer because I'd felt like I had plateaued kind of. So I pushed to join League. They said, sure thing. Like, what do you want to do there? Um, that's when I became a champ designer. So in 2017, I joined Riot. I uh, worked on the really small rework, if you want to call it that, for Xin Zhao, where we updated his W to be like the thrust, and we gave him the R that blocks projectiles. That was both a champion in need of work, but also a really good test for me to like kind of get used to the tools and like ship something, right? That's not a huge project. Then after that, they had me do uh, the Nunu and Willem VGU. So that was cool. I got to do like a really large project that took 10 months or so, actually. And then so, uh, during that uh, project... Just to not interrupt the VGU and the the uh, kit update as well. Yeah, my my responsibility on Nunu specifically is updating the gameplay, all of the abilities, the kit. Um, you work so what you what we do. I'll, I'll go into that a little bit. Is we have what we call the DNA pod, so that stands for design, narrative, and art. Uh, those three people plus like a delivery lead. In this case, we had a producer and uh, Ryan Morales, aka Reeve, talking about like when we reimagine Nunu and Will, like who are they, and what do they care about. And that's where we kind of came up with, it's not a boy and his monster. It's not like an edgy, bratty boy and his monster. It's like a sweet boy and this like really powerful creature that's just trying to enable his snow, his snowball fantasies and like playing in the snow type of thing. Uh, so I help with that part, but we're all collaborating on that. Then the artist is drawing, well, this might be what they look like. And the writer's writing, like, here's what their story might be and their background might be. And I'm coming up with what would their gameplay look like in that world? Um, so yeah, then uh, the next opportunity they had was they said to me, I could either work on a new champion or a VGU. I said, well, who's up for VGU? And they showed me the list and uh, I saw Mordekaiser. And having been a really long time player of League, I was like, ooh, that sounds both challenging and also really fun and really rewarding. So I actually requested to do that instead of like working on a new champ. And then that was my uh, third and final champion project. So you got to work with um, Sunny, right? On the Mordekaiser project? Yeah. Yeah. yeah me and, awesome. uh, Sunny was one of the first guests we had on the show. He's a very... Oh, that's cool. Very awesome guy to talk to. Uh, he has a lot of insight. Sonny, into... Sonny's an interesting guy because he's he uh, he's got like this this beard and he's got this like Viking hair and he looks like he'd be so rough and rugged. And he's like the <laughs> nicest guy ever. He's just so Love nice. This was before yeah. we started doing video interviews, so I only had the voice as reference. And then later on, I saw him on Facebook. I'm like, that's Sonny. Holy yeah. hell! <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can it see was, that. It was surprising. Um, yeah, so that was a great story. So you have a a pretty extensive um experience in the game design world so you've been doing this sort of thing for a while i love uh that you were talking about now. 12 years i love uh that you brought talking about the originally designing levels for doom and stuff because i was actually watching a bit of a like not really a documentary but like a youtube documentary on doom and the early design process i think it was by uh retro ahoy or ahoy uh is his name mm. and he did a, a great hour or so long video on how doom like why it was so successful and why it was such a, a great uh, catalyst to sort of like many designers careers. And the story that you told yeah. basically just solidified that. So I thought that was funny. Very, I would say very recently, probably within the last like three to five years, John Romero did some writing and some podcasts, I think on his design thoughts behind those levels. And I think it's really easy when you play doom to be like, there's not a lot of nuance and thought here, but there really is. And he still will occasionally make levels in Doom, which I think is fascinating because those tools are old and tough to work with compared to what we have nowadays. 
it's like the people who go back and make like original Warcraft three mods, and they're still making mods for that. Mm-hmm. Um, me and my friends actually uh, recently got into the StarCraft uh, two arcade scene, which is just like a whole bunch of custom modes by random yeah. people, and there's some crazy games in there. There's a there's a game that uh, it's called Lottery Defense. It reminds me a little bit of like TFT mixed with a tower defense thing. Hmm. Um, some cool design aspects on that a lot of uh, a lot yeah, of lottery was, mechanics that was kind of uh when we went indie we ended up making a tower defense game and it's not because we wanted to do something easy it's because we wanted to try to do a tower defense game like the warcraft 3 era when they yeah. were like really complex and really hard and they involved building your path with your towers which is called mazing and not having predefined paths like we wanted this um, <laughs> rich old school tower defense experience for that same reason like that we think we think back on that so fondly I don't know why the tower defense genre is so integrated into these RTS mods. Like what what is it about Warcraft 3 and StarCraft and and all these other old old games that lend themselves to this game mode so well? Cuz you see we saw tower defense have like a mini renaissance on browser games, like there is Bloons and a few other games like that, but yeah, they yeah. never were in depth. They never were like real tower defense. Um, and then we just never really saw. I like there's to put real tower. Defense. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gate. I'm sorry. I'm gatekeeping tower defense. I'm sorry. Any uh, hey. hardcore balloons tower defense fans out there? <laughs> I mean, we, yeah, we we would tend to agree. I think it's a pretty different experience. Um, like when you play a modern tower defense, they they are fun. But I think like what I find fun about them is, uh, you, you know, you're putting towers along the path and you're watching them slaughter things, and that's like mm-hmm. really satisfying. And then you're making choices about what you upgrade and when. When you go back to Warcraft three. And you're trying to actually maze, like you're trying to actually build the path, and you're trying to min-max so that units will go through particular areas of your maze repeatedly and stuff like that. It's it's a lot to think about. Yeah. Um, and that's fun, I think, for very different reasons, but it's not like relaxing. I think modern tower defense games, in a way, are a lot more chill, and you just get to watch your, your towers do a lot of work for like much less effort. It's like party, it's like an idle game almost, like cookie clicker or something. It's cathartic. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, going to your question of like why. Uh, why are they so popular in Warcraft 3? Like, having used that editor a lot in, and StarCraft, those editors, uh, I'll give Blizzard their due credit here, those editors are just a pleasure to use. Um, they're really fun to use. They're very powerful. You know, if I, like, trying to build our tower defense game in Unreal was much harder because it doesn't just, like, inherently support tower defense games, right? It's built for, like, first and third person games primarily. And so just getting units to, like, path well is a problem that we have to solve, whereas Warcraft has it solved because it's an RTS. So the units are probably going to go like where you want them to go. And they're probably going to consistently go on the path and not get stuck on your towers and not do this and that. So a lot of the, I would say the more frustrating parts of game development are like already solved by them. And then they've really polished that those editors up. Like they're very just easy and fun to use, particularly as compared to like normal uh, game developer tools, which are not public facing. So they don't have to be, they have to be powerful, but they don't have to be as like fun to use or yeah. polished. Intuitive. So it's uh yeah, but but on that flip side, then you don't need to have like a robust amount of uh, development experience to sit down with Warcraft 3's editor and be like, how do I do this? Uh, even their scripting language is like reads almost like English. It's very intuitive. Uh, it reads it's like ad libs. Like I want to do this thing, and I fill in the words that are missing, and it just kind of works. It's like it's really <laughs> neat. Yeah, but I, I think that empowers gamers that have like a cool idea to build a thing without having to be a game developer, right? There was a um, game mode in the starcraft uh arcade that was starcraft is a for those not familiar i mean if there's people out there who aren't familiar with starcraft it's an rts which is real-time strategy which is basically means you 
sit in a window above the battlefield and control a bunch of units, like order them around. It's sort of like the birth of MOBAs, kind of. Um, there's similarities in the genres. But um, the, in this editor, they had made a real FPS game, like a, an actual working, not even janky, like an actual excellent FPS game in the StarCraft engine and in with these mod tools. Uh, and it was pretty popular too. I think it got the Blizzard marketed it a lot because they thought it was nifty. But I always thought that was um, just hilarious that somebody could sit down and somehow manage to make a working, a completely different genre of game out of an RTS uh, editor. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point. I think it's also worth noting that uh, like MOBAs were generally born genuinely born in warcraft 3 right in the warcraft 3 editor uh so was the first uh auto chess for mm-hmm. dota 2 like again Pokemon it's kind of the defense. Same thing these, yeah oh like no sorry modders have i was that? gonna say um are you so you're familiar with dota auto chess obviously are you familiar yeah. with pokemon defense or pokemon whatever it was pokemon chess there was a warcraft 3 I mod i have not played that <laughs> way way back in the day i never played it myself but i i had to read up on this because we were having more dog on the show um and there was a there was a mode in warcraft 3 2000 whenever that was basically tft it was like you get pokemon and you combine them together and make their evolution forms so like three bulbasaur is a venus or a ivysaur um yeah and that was like where the idea of auto chess started so Everyone like no idea. yeah they credit everyone credits uh uh I forget the studio behind Auto Chess uh Dodo or something like that um for the the invention of this formula the Autobata formula but it really doesn't even belong to them it belongs to whoever made the Warcraft three mod <laughs> that's really interesting yeah it kind of makes me wonder if uh the folks that worked on it more recently had that same experience then where they remember like a really cool mod, AKA they remember this mod and they're like, I want to rebuild that with like modern tools in a modern game with a modern engine that yeah. I think a lot of us think about. It's very, it's very surprising how many people have had uh, a very deep experience with these uh, modded game modes. Um, I, man, I should try to talk to see if I can get somebody on who's, who's made a game mode uh, in one of those engines eventually and see what their insights in on it is because i'm sure there's a lot of fun stuff to talk about there yeah that'd be interesting anyway getting back to the the task on hand um so you've been working in your role for at riot for about three did you say 2017 about three years now yeah i i didn't actually finish my rambling story um oh yes yeah, <laughs> no it's okay the last part of it was uh that Actually, Mordog, who you mentioned, was leading the team that I'm leading right now and also working on modes. And, it, it, you know, that's obviously, like, insane. Uh, his work ethic is, like, the stuff of legend, but at some point, there's only so many hours in the day. Um, so because of my history, I think, primarily in working at Red 5 and being collaborative and, like, running a combat team that has artists, that has audio, that has, like, animators and, you know, everything like that, engineers... They knew I can collaborate pretty well, so they reached out, uh, they being leadership, reached out and asked if I'd be interested, and I said yes. So I became the design lead for uh, the personalization team, which does, uh, you know, ships all of our skins and our emotes and other cosmetic content, but also works on new content types like Eternals. We do all of our events, all of our missions, like anything kind of in that bucket that's not directly related to gameplay or directly related to maps and modes. Like there's teams specifically for those things. And then we yeah. have like a catch-all that does a lot of other stuff. The more people we have on the show, the more 
insight uh, I get into how just how vast and how uh, varied the design departments at Riot are and just how many people are behind this. Like you can think about it and Riot has something like 3,000 employees now. Um, yeah. And that's a that's a large number, but it doesn't really stick into your brain until you actually start to put faces to the name. So it's really awesome to see like just how many people are involved in making these games. Right. Right. Yeah. It's something that, uh, you know, I, I try to remind players of particularly when there's a, there's a decision that they, uh, they don't agree with or they don't understand. It's always worth noting that it's not like one particular person, uh, you know, picking on you or whatever. There's usually a lot of people involved and um, a lot of good reasoning goes into why we do or do don't do a thing. Uh, like you said, there's a lot of designers, right? Um, a lot. Yeah. And it takes a lot to get alignment around what we should or shouldn't do. And when we do, there's going to be trade-offs and there's going to be parts we like and we don't like in a compromise, but usually there's a lot of voices. And again, it's not like one person just being a bully. It's like we came to this decision rationally across a lot of people, typically speaking. Yeah. Some would say that there was uh, 200 years of game design. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. That was me. <laughs> no, no, it's true. We we have We have at least 200 at this point. Um, <laughs> growing fair, growing like, every year. I love, I love those memes. Uh, and one thing I really enjoy about Riot is like we just we'll throw that term around to you. Like we joke about that internally. Uh, you know, it's it's like what else can you do? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you as long as you can learn to accept them, it takes a lot of the the power out of the the people who are yeah. using them maliciously. What what I will say is, I'm very I have friends at a lot of studios. I'm very familiar with a lot of studios. I super appreciate. Riot's willingness to let us do these kind of things like this podcast. I didn't have to go through like a council to get approved to do it. I don't have to get permission to tweet. Uh, like some studios are pretty clamped down and that sort of stuff. That also means that we are open to making mistakes and having people be like, why did you say that? Uh, don't do that. You know, that kind of thing. But I, I'd rather go that route. Like I'd rather get to in- interact with players and like make mistakes than be told you can't and only these people can type of thing. Like only the community managers can talk. I think it's important that we talk directly and hear that feedback directly and are given the opportunity to make those kind of mistakes. Yeah. I think the, the, the game's audience is really spoiled by the amount of contact that uh, writers do have with their community. It, it just really doesn't um, hit you like how different it is until you look into some other games and other large platforms that don't have that level right. of communication between the devs and the players. And, it has been getting better, and I think it's because Riot has pioneered this sort of open communication. Um, we do see a lot of other games companies like starting to try and build that bridge from the community because it's a lot easier to maintain goodwill with a community that actually knows the people behind the decisions. Um, and sometimes that backfires, like we said, but sometimes uh, a lot of the times I think it's it's very valuable. It's very uh, yeah. I mean, I've had my own my own gaffes, uh, which can be <laughs> tough, but. What I like, another thing I like about Riot is like when you make a mistake. Um, I, w- I won't, I guess I won't go to the details of one of the things I did, but when I made that mistake, I had a number of people uh, checking in on me, like, "Hey, are you doing okay? Are, are you feeling okay? Like, are you okay?" Even though it was like kind of tough, um, and I appreciated that. And you also have the folks, that, even the folks that are talking to you, like, "Hey, you can't do or say this for legal reasons or whatever." Um, they're also still encouraging us to continue engaging. Which is like, yes, th- like for legal reasons, you shouldn't have phrased this this way, and we're gonna have you change it. But on the flip side, please keep engaging. Like no one's like punishing you. You know what I mean? I love that. It's yeah, that's that's it's awesome. even more comfortable to like be vulnerable and be honest. You know, it's very it's very. Uh, I don't want to say rare because I don't I don't have the 
experience to to make that claim, but right. it seems like it's a rare thing. Um, getting my, back onto my, the oh sorry, is, go is, ahead. Yeah. I was oh, okay. say my my opinion from what I've observed is it's pretty uncommon to be as open with communication as we are. Yeah, yeah, especially for such such a large company. I feel like communication channels can be something that smaller studios can get away with, um, just because they have a lot tighter grip on just who's involved in things but for a studio as large as riot um i'm sure it's exceptionally rare yeah Yeah. um getting back onto to the talking points on the dock um this is something that i've been asking a lot of the the devs recently because i love talking um about that because we get some great stories Uh, what are some of the highlights specifically from your job at riot that you like make you say oh this is why i do this job this is why uh this is just this makes my day yeah, I think there's like two parts of the answer. Like, I think the broad and the broad part. And I'll go into the more specific thing for this role, but the more broad part is uh, having been a gamer since I was like four years old. Uh, the whole reason I wanted to get into games was when I'd make those maps when I was younger, and my friends would play them, and they would tell me how much they loved them and how fun they were. Like, I just wanted to give all players that. I wanted that feeling of like I created this thing, and you enjoyed it, and I helped make your evening better. So that's why I do game design. And this specific role, there's a there's a lot of stuff to be excited about, right? Like one of my favorite moments is like helping collaborate with or even just seeing a skin that we're working on and then finally getting to see the reveal and getting to see how excited players are. Because I know like I have my Master Geek shirt on. I know how excited I am when my favorite champions get a skin. Like I'm just as geeked out when I saw the the newest Geek skin that's coming out soon. I was like, oh my God, I can't wait to buy that. Um, so that's always a good feeling uh, for events is, an, is another thing like, when events are done really well in games, I'm always excited to like go back and to play them and like re-engage and feel rewarded. So I want to instill that feeling in players. I want to create that experience. So it's really just about like, yeah, creating uh, meaningful experiences, good memories, that kind of stuff, just making people have a better day, really. Definitely. Yeah. That's, that seems to be a common thread amongst a lot of the people we ask that question. It's definitely a great motivation. Um, on the flip side of that, what is something that you struggle with in, in a job like this? Yeah, I think I'll I'll give you a really honest answer here. Um, I think the hardest part for me is as a game designer and as a person and as a player, I want to give everyone everything, right? But my my team in particular has to deal with monetization. Uh, We have to make sure that League of Legends is making money so that not only can we fund League of Legends improvements, right? But we can also help fund Valorant. We can also help fund Legends of Runeterra. We can also do these other things for players. And that's really what it boils down to is, uh, you know, how can we make it? We don't want to be predatory by any stretch, right? But we do want to be enabled and empowered to keep creating cool things for players, to do things like the Summoner's Rift update that we did a couple of years ago now, to keep iterating season over season. Like we want to make League better and we want to make really cool games that fulfill other needs or make other types of players happy. Um, but it can be really tough because when cool things come out, it, it's very easy for me to be like, oh man, I wish I could just like give that out. Or it's really easy for me to constantly be like, hey, can we just like give people more tokens? Can we just, you know, can we do this? Can we do that? Because that's what I want to do. But it also is kind of like, you have to, I have to keep reminding myself, there's always a cost, right? Like the, yeah, the, the, if we just give, give that stuff away for free, then does that mean we can't ship like Valorant? Well, I think that's a net loss. Like I'd rather give players Valorant uh, than like this free thing in League of Legends. So it's, that can be really tough. And I think an, an, another part is, it's really hard to have that conversation with players. Um, and I totally understand why they think we're predatory sometimes. I totally understand why they're frustrated by prices. And 
I wish there was some way to like have one on one conversations to explain to them these kind of things because we really struggle with this. Like we want to be the most pro- player friendly studio in the world, but we also have to pay bills and pay salaries and like fund new projects. So it's it's really really tough uh to do this. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine um the problem with those conversations too is is there's so much goodwill that comes out of all these great things that you do, Valorant, and all these these games are free and they're enjoyable to free experiences almost entirely. Like there's very little barrier of entry to these games in terms of monetary, like almost zero in most of them. Um, and people will enjoy that. They'll enjoy that. They'll spend. I myself has spent years and years and years of my life playing Riot games. Uh, probably ten years now playing League of Legends and however many uh, extras with the other games now. Um, But the minute that a negative, it's almost like a wave where one thing happens and then another thing piles up on that and it just builds and builds and builds. And it's sort of, at least from my standpoint as a community member, it builds like a wave of resentment and negative negativity towards things. They'll be like, oh, to be specific, like, oh, these game passes are, they're it's just a way to suck money out of whales or oh uh eternals is just a way to monetize achievements and stuff like that um and then it's so easy for people to get caught up in those little fractions of the argument and forget entirely about how many hours and, and days and years of free entertainment they've enjoyed um and i know that's not a popular argument for some people uh but that's how I view it. Yeah. Well, it's like I said, um, I I identify as a gamer before a game dev. Like, I totally get it. I've gone through the same feelings with many games over the course of my life. Uh, and, and what I like to do is try to look at it through, like, if if players feel that way, like, what can we do? What are we doing wrong, in other words, that makes them look at something that should we thought would be perceived this way and is being perceived this other way? Because we know where we're coming from. And we'll get into this a little bit more later, right, when we talk more about Eternals. <laughs> but um i'm usually very i'm very sympathetic to those arguments and why players would feel that way and it's always like a good uh good opportunity for us to sit down and like ask ourselves like if they don't if players don't understand the value of this and like how do we communicate that if that's the core problem right um instead of just dismissing the argument Mm -hmm. it usually means like we're probably not doing something adequately if they feel that way yeah and i think um the response that we've seen to a lot of the the comments that we have and we'll talk yeah like we said we'll talk about this more in the future but i think it does show that it isn't just being dismissed you are listening and you are making the changes that you can within the parameters that you're given um and then finally for for the career chat let's talk about like some of the skills that you would recommend somebody trying to get into this kind of job that you have should hone yeah i think that goes back to what i was talking about earlier which is like if you specifically if you want to be a game designer I don't think there's a better time to hone those skills because you have access to really powerful and user-friendly engines like Unity and Unreal. So my recommendation is always to like download those editors, one or the other, and uh, build things. Build jump puzzles, build guns, build abilities. Like Build mechanics, design things, try and fail and learn, uh, iterate, and then have something to show off. Whether It doesn't have to be like a full game, but just demonstrating those skills can be quite potent. Like, hey, I actually can do this and I enjoy it. I also think it's very important to reinforce to a person like 
do you actually want to do this for a living? Because there's an idea of what game design is, but then when you actually open up Unreal and you see how complicated it can be and how frustrating it can be and how long troubleshooting can take, uh, that, I would imagine, would immediately turn a lot of people away. They're like, holy crap, I don't want to spend my day doing that. But like, that's what game design is. That's what it is. It's having an idea, but it's also, in most cases, implementing those ideas and with tools or whatever. It's not just being the idea guy. Yeah. Um, so, so that's a good that's a good test for a person too to like verify. Yeah, I want to actually do this for a living, or oh, I don't really want to do the thing I thought game design was. Um, yeah, there's there's actually an excellent series on YouTube if you are looking to get as an amateur game designer. If you're looking to get a little more insight into the process, it's by Yahtzee, who's the gentleman behind the Zero Punctuation series. Um, and he's not exactly like a very established game developer, but he has a lot mm-hmm. of uh, time in the indie dev scene, so he does a lot of um talking about like the decisions that he makes when he's making a game and uh what you should focus on if you're trying to just get a core idea out first he he very much uh exemplifies the the idea of stick with the primary gameplay loop and then build around that um if you're trying to like make a new game make a new type of uh something like figure out something that is is really fun first and then build your thing on top of that I think, uh, I think that's good advice. A lot of the times when somebody says, hey, I have this idea for a game. Do you want to hear about it? Um, it's it's really not a design. It's more of like a story mm-hmm. or this high concept. And it's like, that may or may not be cool depending on what the gameplay is. Like, what, <laughs> what do I do in this game? The story sounds neat. But uh, if you have a really cool story, like you have a book, uh, you don't have a game yet, right? Um, which I think, so what you just said sounds like really good advice to me, which is like start with the, uh, the minute-to-minute verbs that the player is going to be performing and try to build those, make those feel good, and then go from there, yeah. Yeah. Sounds great. Yeah, man. And games as a medium um, have been very flexible. Uh, we've seen, I don't really know how to quantify these. The, the games like uh, Firewatch or, or the Walking Dead series or something like that, where it's sort of a visual novel experience inside of mm. a game. And there's a little bit of gaming mechanics in there, but at the end of the day, it's basically just a movie or basically just a book that you're going through. Right. Um, I'd love to, I'd love to see like, I'm sure this is a different answer to every question, like to whoever you ask this question, but where do you think that falls? Like, would you consider those games? That's a, that's a difficult question. I know. <laughs> I don't even know what my answer would be. I mean, I played, uh, I played some of the walking dead and I would because, uh, the player is making choices. There are rules, there are consequences to those choices. I think there's enough there to be like, yeah, that's, I mean, that, that constitutes a game. Okay. Yeah. I wonder. Where, I wonder what the cutoff is there. It, anyway, it's something in that vein. Like I don't. I don't have this like existential answer ready. <laughs> but I think if there are rules, aka systems, and the in a player is being presented with options, and they have to make choices, and there are consequences for those choices, um, that totally constitutes a game. Yeah. And I love. I love. Um, they're very relaxing. I love those types of experiences that you can yeah. just boot up and maybe not The Walking Dead in particular because that is a, actually a bit of a stressful experience yeah. <laughs> but yeah. uh firewatch was always a good one that's uh i forget the studio behind that but i know they're working on another another experience like that soon i'm excited to hear more about it um so transitioning to the second point of our conversation day let's talk a little about uh, uh league events and let's start out with uh talking about spirit blossom and uh at the beginning of the show we mentioned that you aren't the primary designer for this but you are familiar with them and you can give a little bit of insight into it. So we'll see what we can get 
um, yeah, out of this, this out of this blurb. This was an interesting event because uh, historically I have designed the full events experiences, and then um, for this one in particular, uh, Zara, who is one of our newer designers, designed the Spirit Bond system and, and, and designed those missions. And then the creative visionary was actually Ryan Morales, aka Reeve, which is not typical for someone outside of our team to have the creative vision for an event, but. Uh, one of one of Reeve's superpowers is getting people hyped. Uh, he's very good at getting people hyped up and getting people aligned. So I actually feel like if I had come with the exact same pitch and been like, I want to do this crazy event with this like visual novel dating sim-esque thing in it, people would have been like, yeah, right. Uh, but when <laughs> Reeve says it, it makes perfect sense. Like you're on board. You can't help it. He's That's his superpower. Yeah, and this this is the first time that we've seen uh, an experience of like any level I think in the client like built into the client like we've had events before yeah. that that sort of gamify um, this sort of thing like we've had Odyssey Star Guardians that come with their own game mode and there's a bit of interaction there but I thought that it was like a big leap and it was really exciting to see like the client being used for something more than just launching that um, yeah I, I can give some context there too. We we kind of dabbled in this, if you remember, during trials, where you could pick your house, if you will. You picked your uh, your team, faceless, uh, united, whatever. And then in the client, we showed you your mission progress towards getting your rewards for your participation in the house competition. Uh, even that was a massive undertaking because we'd never done something like that before. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of bugs. Like a lot of people were reporting. I'm at 16 missions, and then I log in, it says I'm at two missions, but then when you finally complete one, it goes to 17 correctly, but the, the visualization was broken, which was part of why we were, like, a little reluctant to revisit that, um, but we've always wanted to. We've always wanted to make sure that there's more to do during an event, and part of that is, like, more to do in the client, choices to make or things to read or discover, uh, and we've been getting ever closer, but we're always, like, hung up by some particular issue that ends up, like... I'll give you one example, like in Galaxies, uh, you remember how we had the story about Lux and which direction is she going to go and the players could help influence that? We wanted that to unfold in the client and we couldn't make it happen in time. So it ended up happening on Universe where you go read it externally, which is fine. But we were like, we've been pushing for this for a while. So I'm so happy that we were able to bring everyone together and like get this to work in the client where we think it ought to be. So do you think this is the most in-depth the team has gone for an event like this compared to Odyssey and Star Guardians and Galaxies? Mm. I would I would say in some some aspects, like obviously having uh having missions launch and complete through the client is, is something we've never done. So there was a lot of tech that went in there, there's a lot of QA that went in there. Um writing a visual novel and having those choices and all the different expressions and the music like the client experience, we'd never done something like that. But when I think back to Odyssey during that time, I wasn't I wasn't on this team, but I was on Champions team. And I do remember them coming to us and saying, hey, we need help uh, building, you know, sort of like the talent choices for all of the champions. That was a massive undertaking. Uh, I don't have a ton of context in how massive, but from outside, it looked really massive. So I don't want to say that Spirit Blossom was necessarily like the biggest, but it was a new challenge in a lot of different ways than those which involved like a map, beautiful maps that were built and a lot of custom rules, custom monsters, custom abilities, um, a lot of different work on those. But I I don't know. I I don't think it's fair to anybody to say, I guess it was more, but it seemed like a lot from the outside. I'll say that. Odyssey was was Spirit Blossom though. Yeah. Odyssey was a few years ago now. So I don't 
fully remember everything about it, but I do remember the talent tree being incredibly fun to play around with and trying yeah. out uh, different combinations of uh, augments, I think they were called. Or something augments, like that. that's the word. Yeah, thank you. I, I was drawing a blank. <laughs> Trust they me, I'm just pulling that out of a hat. <laughs> it could have been wrong. They were like, we need right. help building these augments, and there were so many. Uh, and designers had to go in there in in every like ability and script new stuff to make them work. It was I'm sure I'm sure that was a huge pain in the butt for some people. Yeah, uh, especially QA trying to get those to work properly for some some things. Yeah. Um, so the external reception for Spirit Blossom has been, at least from my point of view, very very positive. Like this has been one of the events that I've seen the community just have almost a unanimously positive reaction to. Uh, can you share any insight on how the internal response was to it? Yeah, I think, uh, w- you know, when you when you make a bet like this, and I'll call it that because we're putting up a lot of our time and a lot of our resources, we're making an investment in this and hoping it's going to do well. When you make a bet like this, uh, of course you hope it's going to do well. We had our expectations, but this event actually uh, did better than we had expected. Uh, the reception was at least better than a lot of us expected. I would say not everybody. Maybe maybe Ryan, a.k.a. Reeve, knew all along <laughs> in his mad scientist mind that this was going to be the hottest thing that's ever happened. But uh, yeah, we were we were very optimistic. We thought it, the event makes a lot of sense. We did our best work. It's kind of like at that point, what else can you do? Uh, but your best work can be hopeful. And it, but it went really well from our perspective. We've gotten a ton of good feedback from players. Even rioters are, are having a blast with it. You know, we're talking internally about like, who got your first pedal and all that sort of stuff, which is really cool. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I think uh, I think in general we're really happy with how it went. We're so glad that players enjoyed it. Uh, thrilled that we got to be a part of building that. Yeah. So if we take a step back, um, let's talk about where the event starts in terms of the divine aspect, and what are some details that a layperson will probably miss about designing an event like this. Like if if from for example, uh, the mm-hmm. process from my point of view would probably be somewhere like Reeve comes up with the idea. And then he pitches it to the team, and then he just has people come and build it. Like, what does the process look like? Uh, it's kind of close, but <laughs> I think um, I think more accurately is like we will uh, we'll want to basically the way we approach it is we want to give our players certain experiences. We want to give them certain experiences, certain memories. Uh, my understanding of this one again, I wasn't in a lot of those early meetings, but that the group responsible for this one in general wanted to kind of create something that was like us embracing anime and giving anime fans something that they'll be really excited about. And so I think that part was established amongst a group. Like we, this is something we want to do and here's how we start to talk about how we want to do it. But what was interesting is Reeve had told me how the original pitch was actually another versus event, like the ones we've done night and dawn and, uh, uh, you know, Garen and Darius and so forth. Um, they, they originally were thinking about uh, a versus event between the Akana and Kanme. And he, I guess, went up, thought about it over the weekend. It was like, that doesn't make a lot of sense because the spirits aren't really fighting. Like, if you remember the Spirit Blossom experience, the spirits are kind of like doing their own thing. They're not really like at war. So a versus event is not exactly what that should be. So I guess in thinking through that train of thought, it was him who uh, realized that a visual novel would be like a really good way to execute on this and like fulfill that that desire to give anime fans like something they're particularly excited about so he came back with that idea uh, but i think that's generally how it works so we have like a broad idea and then somebody or everybody on the on the group will kind of figure out how should we execute on that how do we actually deliver on that okay 
Um, now this is this is something because I'm sure you have some some thoughts on this. Where does like most of the work for producing this like actually go into? Like, what is the the grind that has to be done to make an event happen? Yeah, I think it that that one's going to depend uh, event to event. But in this one in particular, like I said, we didn't previously have a way to complete and grant missions through the hub. Like those are separate, totally separate systems. They don't know anything about each other. Missions grant missions to themselves. Like if I complete a mission, that mission can give me another mission or other other criteria in the mission system. But like we never done this through the hub. And when we did it during trials, there were a lot of bugs. So the experience wasn't great. So we we're a little worried about it. So uh that was one thing that was particularly time consuming and difficult was like, how do we do this experience correctly? Where through gameplay missions are completing and then those missions completing are driving uh like these new conversations to become unlocked and then completing those conversations then grant new missions like that's how it has to work to do it right but didn't work that way so that was a that was a lot of risk and a lot of work and again like i think repeatedly we're like taking this mission system that we have and like trying to get it to do things it was never meant to do but (laughs) you know we always want to push the envelope so i think there's a lot of work there um, and then, of course, there's a lot of art involved in this, uh, a lot of writing involved in this. There's a lot of other disciplines that aren't normally pulled in to do events, like their time is being spent writing the stories that the skin thematic might be about, and the artists are working on art for the skins, but we're not working specifically on an experience in the hub for the event, right? Yeah. Um, and can you give a shout out to anyone on your team that might be underappreciated? Yeah, I think uh, I do this on Twitter a lot, but I always, always, always want to give shout outs to QA. I think that they're arguably the least slash most, sorry, the most underappreciated or the least appreciated discipline in game development. They're super important. I would hate to do my job without QA. So there's a big shout out to the QA for like just beating the crap out of this event and making sure everything worked right. It did work right. That's thanks to QA, like testing and finding these bugs for the most part. Uh, I think secondarily, to engineers i think it's really easy to look at how the system works and think about the game design it's really easy to look at the art and be like wow those artists are amazing it's easy to read the stories or hear the music engineers have to do a ton of work it's much harder to appreciate their work when you're just like consuming the content and then i think the third and last one is the delivery lead for this in particular a gentleman named ford uh was basically doing this plus his normal job and you know, wrangling all of the resources that everybody needed and all the teams that are working together. And like the fact that he was able to pull this off while also working on his novel stuff is just, I don't actually understand it. So I think that's, that's the third one. Yeah. Delivery lead. Yeah. Um, I love, I love when we can talk about people who may not get the spotlight as often as they should. Uh, Cause I, there's a lot of, like you said earlier, there's a lot of people at riot. Um, yeah. There's a ton of people that are involved in making this stuff work. And you only kind of see, the tip of the iceberg like you see the design and the art mm-hmm. like the things that are literally visible but it it's hard to appreciate the large group of people that went into shipping anything whether it's yeah. a skin or an event or whatever it's very easy to focus on the visual like you said the visual tips of the iceberg that pop up on reddit and twitter and whatever other platform because they have the followings right. already um but there's like you said there's so many people involved in making these events and stuff happen um yeah. there's oh, there's a lot <laughs> the team's big and I know you can't get into anything specific on this, but uh, in the future, given the success of uh, the hub and, and all the work that went into making this system work, uh, what might we see from future events in terms of like systems and structure? Let's see, Yeah, I think 
if we, you know if we were able we would do this every event uh the, i think the reality at least in the in the short and midterm is we can't ship something of this scope every event but we definitely are happy with the way it went we really enjoyed playing it players really enjoyed playing it so that's something that we hope to get to do and hope to get to do more regularly awesome okay switching gears yet again let's get into the part three um let's talk about eternals because i know this should be an interesting conversation there's a lot of uh very very powerful and very uh energetic discussions happening about eternals um and i'd like to see i feel like we should give the caveat that when you even asked about this you said do you mind if we talk about something spicy like eternals (laughs) (laughs) so the elephant in the room is eternals uh had a had an introduction to the community and uh some people weren't particularly happy with the way that it's it's implemented so why don't we start from the beginning what was the original goal of the eternal system yeah yeah this is something that um you know again i want to i want to first emphasize that the feedback that we got from players which i agree was like quite negative at the beginning was uh to, to credit to rioters was also echoed by rioters internally we even had rioters saying kind of like what the hell um and I, and I totally understand why. The reason, and what I like to explain is the reason why we pursued them in the first place was we, uh, we had done a number of surveys to players talking about cosmetics, um, talking about things that they might be interested in paying RP for and asking them to stack rank them for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and the survey that, uh, at least in one survey in particular, maybe multiple, I'm only familiar with one that was like more recent, uh, stat trackers, specifically stat trackers, was the second highest requested amongst players in those surveys. Uh, and I don't want to talk about number one because I would be spoiling things. <laughs> um, but this is a good list for us to be like, yeah, what do you want? Like, what else can we make that you'd be excited about? How other, what other ways do you want to express yourself? Or what other things do you want to collect? Uh, things like that. So we asked, and that, that was the number two thing, stat trackers. And we thought, okay, uh, we can do stat trackers. Stat trackers turned into what are now Eternals, and we can talk a little bit how we went from like just stat trackers to Eternals. But I think it's first important to establish like that's why, because in a way we were being asked to make stat trackers, and we thought, okay, we'll make stat trackers. Then later, I saw a lot of players being like, "Why are you making this? Why would you ever make this?" Well, that, I mean, that's why. Like we we threw out those questions, we asked a question, and uh, that was one of the answers we got. So we we pursued it um, to try to survey player need that had surfaced through that survey. Yeah, and I think it's important to just as a caveat there um the large majority of these communities that do have a large say like reddit and twitter and youtube and whatever other community you might be involved with um that isn't always necessarily representative of the actual player base of the games like there it's definitely a portion of the player base but you have to remember when designing for a game as large as league of legends and its subsidiaries yeah. um they have a lot of different places of input so just because reddit may say something uh, doesn't mean it's echoed by the entire community so um moving on to to more about eternals where does eternals sit with in champion mastery like how do those two systems integrate together yeah so i think i think part of that that issue with the sentiment was around uh, adding features onto stat trackers until it, it became a little hard at the beginning to understand like what is this product, if you will. I hate using that word in context of games, but like what is this product? What is this feature? Uh is it a stat tracker? Is it a mastery upgrade? Is it a, an achievement? And it's kind of like, well, it's doing all those things. At the core, they were meant to be stat trackers. 
Uh, but what we thought was it would make it even more fun if instead of just tracking like how many kills you have or something that uh, you can look up, it'd be how many times have I done a thing unique to this champion? And then to give moments that we're calling milestones where we like celebrate with you, like, hey, you've done this thing like 20 times. You've done this thing 50 times. You've done this thing a million times. And then we also thought, wow, it'd be a good opportunity, you know, because like getting to Mastery 7 is one thing, but it'd be another good opportunity to add like another stamp to that ex that exclamation of like, not only am I Mastery 7, but I've done these things enough times to get these flares. So it was just meant to be another way to like indicate in my case, like I really like playing Master Yi. I've played a lot of Master Yi, not only in my Master Se Master 7, but I've also done these things enough times that further express, ideally further express uh, skill that I want to show off. So it was, a, it was like a way to let players express their love and depth for a champion, uh, how much they play them or whatever, what have you. So yeah. it was never explicitly meant to be like a level up to the mastery system or to to replace it in any way it was just meant to be that's the best avenue probably to flex if you will is when you flash mastery to also be like <laughs> and by the way i've I finished my eternals um you don't have to answer this question but do you, is there any <laughs> is there any plans or were there any plans to extend mastery seven past mastery seven mastery eight nine ten I mean, we it, it's something we have talked about, but that's like totally independent conversations from Eternals. Because like I said, they weren't they weren't meant to be a part of that system in in, in practice. They don't give you mastery score or things mm -hmm. like that, right? They just, uh, that's where we decided to showcase I've finished my series. Um, but that's a, yeah, that's a totally different system, totally different conversation. Not one that we would really even be responsible for actually on my side. Okay, awesome. Um, and we also, we already talked about how we would, how you would envision Eternals being used in a positive way. So we can skip that part. Um, but let's talk about what did you guys learn from when Eternals got launched and the reception that they had? I know that you were saying that rioters internally were echoing a lot of this feedback. Um, where did that go? What, what happened? Yeah. I mean, th there was a, there was a point like very far in development where we were, uh, like even questioning their existence because that feedback was like hitting us so hard and from all these directions. Uh, but the thing that uh, I encourage the team to remember that I tried to encourage myself to remember was why did we make this in the first place? Because players had asked for stat trackers. And then during their development, we held quite a few labs, both with riders, but also with um, players that would come in from around LA and other countries, even, uh, you know, locally, they would do a test there, and we got their feedback. What do you like? What do you, don't you like about our direction? We had, like, really vetted this feature, actually, compared to a, a number of things I've worked on, where we don't do hardly as many labs, you know, because maybe we don't need to, but I think that was because we weren't really... We wanted to be really sure that players were enjoying these. We wanted to be particularly sure that they weren't distracting. Like, that's one of the number one things, is we didn't want to distract you from your gameplay. It's not supposed to be about that. The announcement should be celebratory, not annoying and distracting. So we had a lot of labs. And we had all that feedback. It had been positive. Internal feedback had been positive. And so we had to try to weigh that against. Now we're getting bombarded with negative feedback from outside, but those players haven't played with it yet. Mm -hmm. um, so that was one lesson was like to, to remember the process that we've done and put some faith in that process in terms of like when you're vetting something, if you have that much uh, feedback and that much data to like trust in those players that have played it, trust in the writers that have played it. Um, but the second thing was we made, we made a number of mistakes in terms of how we marketed it at the beginning. And that's because it has a lot of features. It's like, it is a stat tracker, but because we put in the milestones, well, now it feels kind of like an achievement. And because we put in the mastery flare, now it looks like a mastery thing. 
And it totally makes sense. The players are looking at that. And, and some of them were like, yes, stat trackers make sense. And I even see them on Reddit being like, they're just stat trackers. What are you guys flipping out about? But then other people were like, I'm not paying for an achievement system because they're latching onto the achievement part of it. And other people are like, I don't want to pay to upgrade my mastery system, you know, because they're latching onto the mastery part. So I think getting the identity across in a crystal way is like really important, particularly when you have uh, all these extra like bells and whistles is, you know, we learned we really should have just toddled on like, this is a stat tracker. These are, these other things are just, mm-hmm. you know, like the icing on the cake, basically it's a stat tracker at its core. And then we can talk about that in an honest way. Now, if we did, had done that and players were like, yeah, I don't care. Different conversation. But what we were noticing was there was a lot of misunderstanding of what they even are or why we made them. And it's like hard to have a conversation at that point because we're not on the same page. Yeah. So if you could go back and reintroduce this to the community, you would emphasize stat tracker first, other stuff on top of that. Yeah, our initial video, and, and we'd done this later, but our initial video had talked about uh, your achievements, but like that was being misconstrued as like achievements as the thing in games and not like the things you have achieved, right? <laughs> so we, we cleared up that language and we we're like, stat tracker, stat tracker, stat tracker. Let's just focus on what it is. And then we can have more honest feedback, more honest conversation at that point. Cause at least we know then it's not being misunderstood of like what the point is or anything like that. Um, so yeah, I think those yeah. are, those are probably the two biggest things. One, it's hard when you're talking to this many people from all over the world to like have a conversation. So just focus, focus in a little bit and, uh, and then two, trust your process. Um, and if you have that much feedback and you have that many labs, yeah, just yeah, trust the people that have given you their, their opinions already. That's a thing. really, a really good point. You, you mentioned about, having a conversation with a very large group of people. Um, it's really, really hard to have a direct conversation because A, the the audience that is expressing these sentiments might not always see that conversation or they might not always see all of the conversation, especially if it's happening on a forum like Reddit. Um, and B, the points that either side make might not always be shared by the entire group. Like if one person complains about one thing and you go in and clarify that one thing then all of a sudden everyone's like oh but he didn't talk about this he didn't talk about this he didn't talk about this yeah um so if you are reading if you are listening to this episode or watching this episode have a little empathy for how the logistics of this entire situation works um and use that when you're giving uh your very constructive feedback to uh the team <laughs> Um, so now that we're down the line, six months down the line ish, uh, how have things changed in Eternals in reaction to the feedback? Yeah, I think uh, this is one point I didn't make in the previous part, but I'll tie it in here that I thought was really interesting. Uh, admittedly, when I joined this team, uh, Eternals had already begun development; they were still pretty early. But I shared a lot of that knee-jerk response of like, I was kind of like, "Yeah, okay, I guess I don't, I don't, I'm not super enthused about these things. I'm not super excited about these things." But then when I played with them, I was like, oh, I like I like knowing particular uh, things that I've actually pulled off on champions. I was like, I kind of like that idea. And then we saw the same pattern when we brought people in uh, for playtests, where they were also like pretty lukewarm slash negative. They didn't really understand what it was or why they should care. But after they played with it, after they got the celebrations and the rewards, it was kind of like, yeah, it's kind of nice. It's like League of Legends is like patting me on the back for doing a thing. And for people who like that, uh, it felt pretty good. I mean, I've played with stat trackers in other games. It's very interesting to know, like, if I'm on my millionth kill, but it doesn't really, like, celebrate with me, and it doesn't let me show it off as as much as we were. So 
I felt like the ways the team had already decided before I joined to celebrate those stats were good. And I, I was pretty confident that players would come around after ex- experiencing because I had every lab we had was exactly the same where players, again, were kind of negative or lukewarm at best and then positive after trying it. And I would say to that end, I think at this point, like, for example, when I put up a tweet that says, hey, I'm working on Quinn's Eternals prior to launch, that would have been like 75, 80 percent people yelling at me to make them free or I should be fired or whatever. <laughs> um, and now typically it's just players either like riffing on Quinn Eternals or people jumping in and being like, I don't play Quinn, but where are you at on Leona? Let's talk about Leona. Like they're really excited. So I see a lot more excitement. I see far fewer people like questioning their value. I think, you know, for a lot of players, they're still not interested. That's totally fine. But it's re- it's it's pretty remarkable how much uh, the players are now interacting with like, yeah, let's like give let's make series two even better. Let's try to capture the things you care about that we didn't capture in series one. Like, talk to us. It's been a lot more positive. It's actually been really fun to have those conversations. It's really cool to see the players just like get it. Like some of the eternal ideas they come up with are just spot on. They're so good. Where does um where does that feedback that not feedback? Where do those suggestions um come into play when you're is everything trackable? Like if I were to say, just for example, if I were to say like for a champion that I play, a Jax, like how many times have I uh, queued to somebody and broke a shield or something? Would that be feasible to do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, That's amazing. But I want to like big asterisk after that. Um, part of the investment on our part is that that is not tracked by any system right now. There's no mm-hmm. system that knows anything about that. If you look at the end of the game screen after a game is over and it shows you your damage, your gold, all that sort of stuff, those are the stats that are tracked. We're not tracking other stats. So, yes, we can do that. But what it takes is a designer like myself or Zara or another one going in and like hand scripting that in mm-hmm. Jax's spells. Uh, and it's a lot of work. And it, that's part of why like it's taking as long as it is. That's part of why, at the end of the day, we decided to charge for these. Because, again, this goes back to opportunity cost. Like, if we were to just build these for the massive investment that it is, and they were free, our time would be better spent on something else. <laughs> but at the same time, then we're not giving players something that they'd asked us to make. So to that end, like, yeah, I could do that, but it's going to take me some amount of time personally to like build that specific thing. We can track virtually anything. All of it has to be hand scripted. There's really nothing, none of the Eternals that we built last time out of the, uh, what is it? Like 450, 435, uh, just work like out of the box quickly. <laughs> we have to, we have to script every single one of those by injecting code into the uh, champion abilities. So it's a lot of work. And then of course, a lot of testing and a lot of bug fixing. There's so many bugs. Yeah. Um, in, par- in particular, like any eternal that deals with uh, how many times have I applied a CC of any kind, like probably gives you credit when Olaf ignored it with his R, for example. So we have to go back in and like rescript all those or kill eternals not working when you, uh, kill Scion because he doesn't actually mm-hmm. die. He goes into his zombie state, right? Um, so there's a lot of those things where there's a lot of bugs. It took a lot of time to fix those bugs. And they'll be like that again because they're hand scripted. So they're super prone to error. So it's a lot of work. Um, but we also thought it was important to try to give you those cool combos instead of just like, how many kills have I gotten or how many like basic things? Yeah. And just a realization that I had during this conversation we were talking about um, is this whole system very distantly reminds me of the end of year review that uh league has i don't know if they still do it but they've had in the past mm-hmm. where it'll like mention like oh this is your favorite champion you've 
had this many kills, this many pentakills, that thing. Um, yeah, yeah. I love, I love a long time ago when I still had friends who played League of Legends. <laughs> um, I remember sitting down at the end of the year and, and comparing those with, with people and being like, hey, I got more pentas than you. I got... So I, I really like the idea that now we have this system built into the game that you can look at at any time. The only thing that I really miss, and I know it's infeasible, is I just wish that it had the ability to go back into the past and actually track those stats since when you started the game. Um, that's something yeah. that I that I, I always was a little salty about when, it, uh, when Mastery System was launched. It's like, man, I've been playing this champion for six years now, but I only have 400,000 points because they only oh, launched I'm, this. I'm totally with you. My old yeah. friends, <laughs> I have like no Mastery on or I'm like barely anything and i'm like it's because i got tired of playing them years ago after i know so many times yeah yeah i i, I feel that i, I it was interesting that you brought up that um that end of year summary mm-hmm. we talked about that a lot and that was part of the reason why we went the direction of like let's hand script these because we didn't want players to be like well you used to give me this this uh stat tracking thing for free mm-hmm. why are you charging for this um because we didn't want to just do that like with stats we wanted to really try to capture like beyond kills like how many times did you do this thing that's really cool or really unique to Jax? or how many times did you do this thing that's really cool or really unique to rexai or whatever we wanted we wanted to let you show that stuff off it's not it's not just like kills or whatever um i'm with you i enjoyed that that mm-hmm. summary quite a bit but those are stats that do track uh automatically yeah. and that's part of why we can do that. i don't i don't know i don't know a lot about that like i wasn't i wasn't on or near this team when that was put out, but I am interested in that. I do think you can also get that information with like third party sites, but yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure you can even yeah. find it now. Um, with a lot of the stats that right is added to the, the client. Um, and like you said, third party sites as well. Another thing that, that I really wish was in client was, um, have you ever used the site wasted on lol.com or it's something similar to that? It will take, no, I, don't, I don't think so. It will take the amount of games that you've played and, uh, assign an average to them uh, and it's very inaccurate obviously because it's an average but it will give yeah. you an approximate amount of play time that you have used that you've done on league of legends um and it's just oh God. it's it's scary <laughs> uh you can type in any username so you can look up whoever whatever whoever i think i last time i checked i had something north of 2000 to 3000 hours um but i don't know what the algorithm is i don't know if it quantifies like Arim. I don't know if it quantifies discontinued mm-hmm. game modes like Howling a Bit or uh, sorry Dominion three v three rotating game modes right. or anything. So um, maybe one day in the future we'll have like a, a total master list of how much how many games of League have you played? <laughs> I mean, do you want do you do you really want to know? It's sort of okay. So it's like it's like the it's like the thing where if you go to support, you can request to see how much you've spent on League. And yeah, you're always yeah. just like, you're like, <laughs> you don't like looking at it, but it's like, you don't want to not know because it's, it's nagging. Yeah, I did you. that when I joined Riot. I had them look that up and I was like, wow, really? <laughs> so much more than I thought. I, I had like shot a guess out and it was like a third of what I'd actually spent. It's, it's always, of... it's always worse than you'd think. Um, yeah, I don't yeah, know. I mean, I would, doubt, I would doubt that they can quantify other game modes, but that's also interesting because like, like a lot of players, I basically lived in Dominion when that mm-hmm. was out and uh, yeah, I don't have, I don't think they can look that up. I have the coveted um, 50 plus game Dominion icon or whatever it is. <laughs> when they discontinued yeah, yeah. Dominion, they're like, hey, here's an icon. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I love Dominion. It's, I love It's mythic rarity. So Yeah, mythic rarity. Dude, there was, um, 
I don't know if it's a system, but it's oh, there used to be a thing on locking, and locking died a long time ago. But it was it would scan your client in a really intrusive way. You'd have to like download an exe, and it was a little spooky. But it would scan your client, and it would read how many skins you have, and it would like assign a rarity to those skins based on how many other people who had used the system um, to that thing. So you'd be like, oh, only one percent of players have. Uh, Black Alistar, or only 1% of players have UFO Corky, or whatever the number is. Um, and I thought that was amazing. And you could be like, you could like yeah, that's cool. show that off to people. Um, I don't know if things like that really exist anymore. I feel like we've passed the golden age of uh, like gimmicky third party tools <laughs> yeah. for games like Here, Here's an there. interesting question. Here's an interesting question for you, actually. Uh, and, and this is one I this is one I struggle with all the time. So you have you have a number of these skins that you can no longer get, mm-hmm. and players are very proud of those skins. But in some of these cases, the population that has them that still plays can be quite low. Uh, and then you have players that have come in at some point along the line who are now like fanatical uh, kale players, for example. What is what is your thought on their inability to get like silver kale or something <sighs> like that? Like, what, so... what do you think? I have this, I have a personal stake in this conversation because I am a very avid Jax player, played Jax forever. Um, and one of the only Jax skins that I don't have access to is PAX Jax because it obviously was only available to people who went to PAX in like 2009 or 2010 or whatever. And who went to PAX in 2010 and played League of Legends? Um, and it's exact. I have that skin. I know. And it's <laughs> exacerbated by the fact that I have a friend group who literally all went to PAX in 2010, and one of them worked at Riot, and she got them all PAX Jax codes. So they, none of them play nice. Jax. None of them even play him on a regular basis, but whenever you play Aram, and whenever they roll Jax, they're always like, oh, let me just quit this skin, and ooh, look at me. Um, <laughs> I think if I had to give a honest answer to that, even though it pains me, I think that no, I don't think especially for the very, very rare skins, I don't think it would be fair to the people who originally got them and covet them because of their rarity to come out with a re-release, even if it was a re-release in the form of like championship ribbon where they was like, it's the skin, but it's a different version. So you can tell who had it first. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's a popular sentiment. I'm also in the, in the uh, group of people who wants club tags to stay unique. I know there's a big argument where like, hey, we should make club tags non-unique so people will stop like selling them and stuff. And that's a whole other conversation. Mm. But I think that there is a element of enjoyment that you can get out of having like a rare thing. It sort of goes back to like the MMO days where you would have like a very rare mount or something and you could just show off that something that you worked hard to get or you got because you were there yeah. early. Um, I, it's just an interesting question to me, I like, and I like to ask it to folks because, uh, as I had said earlier, like part of my desire as a designer is to make sure the game is super fun for people. <laughs> but this is a problem where, like, one group, no matter which direction we go there, uh, is kind of like dissatisfied with the direction. Either <laughs> we keep them rare, which of course, like, we're not talking about not keeping them rare. I'm just asking this hypothetically. Uh, <laughs> we keep them rare, but then all of the modern uh, fans and the modern mains can never get them, and they're frustrated. Uh, we I get asked this all the time. Hey, can you like unlock these skins for me? But then, of course, if we make them uh, accessible again, they stop being rare, and then the people who had them originally are now frustrated. So it's like a it's an interesting design space because there's no real 
way yeah. to win there, I think. Well, probably to maintain the status quo, but again, I don't there's I don't two know. ways there's two arguments for this too. Um or there's two avenues for this. Uh if the skin got reworked if the skin was being released in the current state that it is, like a lot of these old skins honestly are not very good because they're very old. They're very League of Legends 2009. So I think releasing those in their current state would be just weird because once they lose their prestige, there's not really a lot of reason to use them um, because they just don't look good. But... yeah. On the other hand, if you're reworking a, a champion and you're doing a visual update and you have to spend resources into remaking the skin, because that's just something you have to do, um, I think that maybe that would be the time to revisit the the idea of do we make this available to people? Because now resources have went into it to make a new skin, splash art, that's a new model, a new animation, um, and it's not going to be terrible looking if you did open it up to to people so right. that would be my argument for for both sides it's a good <laughs> argument yeah just curious i like i said it's a it's an interesting thought process i don't i don't imagine we'll modify the status quo there but i always think about it yeah do you have a personal opinion on it um yeah i think i think for me personally because i do have packs of jacks i actually went to virtually every packs back then uh i was even at the very first packs before league was released so i have a twisted fate um from a card code fancy i'm very proud of the skins so <laughs> yeah i think for me personally i'd be like oh man uh my cool skin is now mainstream yeah um but sometimes i also think about i try to imagine where i'm like this this rabid twisted fate fan and i have the full collection and there's this one last thing that i can't get can't ever get I see it every time I scroll through my skins, it's locked. You know, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know how that'd feel because I don't, I'm not in that boat on most of these skins, but I, I do wonder about that sometimes if that would be. Yeah. It's, it's slash depressing slash frustrating. It's a very niche viewpoint because obviously there's only a very small amount of these skins that even exist in the game. It's probably less than a dozen. Um, but it's something that I don't think really gets a lot of discussion anymore just because it's really not known. I'd I'd be interested to see how many people even know a skin like UFO Corky exists or even know a skin like Pax Jax exists. Because if they didn't see it when they're scrolling through the thing, they probably never seen it in the game. They probably never even realized that it's a thing. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's odd. I do enjoy when I put those skins on. Uh, almost every time I wear one of those skins, I'll get comments, which is cool. <laughs> people are uh, being like, what the hell is that skin? Or, oh my God, you have that skin or whatever. So that definitely uh, feels good. Yeah, I think the most the most recognized one, at least from what I've seen, because I have a friend who has it, is the Bowser or sorry, uh, King Ramus, where he looks like a Koopa, and he's just rolling around the map. Um, I think that one's just really recognizable. So people will be like, "Whoa, that's a cool skin." But yeah, yeah, I don't know. That's a that's an interesting discussion. I I, I don't know if yeah. I can I can. It's Go further than it's one of the harder parts of design is when like nobody <laughs> yeah have a problem and like nobody's gonna there's there's not a solution rather that makes everybody happy that would be a good argument or a good thought exercise to put forward when you are discussing um a situation where two people want two different two groups of people to want two different things um maybe i'll maybe i'll use that in the future if i ever talk to people about that it's interesting <laughs> 
So we don't have much left on the uh, docs in terms of talking about. Uh, do you want to talk about anything from what we may expect from Eternals in the future? Yeah, I think uh, I had tweeted about this a little bit, but we are actively working on Series 2. And mm -hmm. uh, one thing that we're trying to do is like reach out to players. We want to make sure that uh, we capture the things that are more exciting. Because we've got some feedback from people that are like, I really love this champion set. I'm not a big fan of this champion set, uh, which is great. Like, Let's talk about that. Let's try to make sure that, it, especially in those cases, that Series 2 is more compelling or catches things that you're more excited about or whatever. Whatever people would be proud to like level up and show off, that's what, that's what we want to hear about. So um, I, I would say hopefully then that Series 2 should be largely uh, more skill expressive, hopefully more exciting. We're also discussing, I don't know, I don't want to spoil these things yet, but we're discussing improvements in general to the system. Um, you know, some, whether it's like touch-ups or major overhauls to some parts, uh, we'll announce those later, but we are actively trying to like iterate and improve it as well based on feedback now that it's out. Awesome. Um, I just asked this for information because I'm not really familiar with what's going on. How far through like every champion are you in terms of having Eternals ready? Does every champion already have a specific set of Eternals already? For Series 2, you mean? Um, so, honestly, what is what is Series 1 versus Series 2? Series 1 is like the okay. like kills, epic monster slain, and stuff like that, right? So, we call that the uh, the starter series. Okay, the and starter that was series. intended to be... Yeah, that series was... Because um, a lot of players had asked for a way to get into the system with Blue Essence. So, that was our... that We were like, cool, let's do that. Let's give you those stats. You can try it out for Blue Essence uh, if you like it. Of course, then maybe the player would consider uh, purchasing the the set that has the uniquely scripted ones where we had to go into the champion scripts and like build them by hand. Mm -hmm. um, but we wanted to do that uh, epic monsters slain, towers destroyed, uh, takedowns one um, for Blue Essence. So we call that the starter series. And then mm -hmm. the series that is handcrafted for each champion is called series one. And we're working on series two, which is another handcrafted set for every champion. So if you have okay. like a Katarina set, it's three that are unique to Katarina. Like it would, they wouldn't make any sense. They wouldn't even work on another champion. It's kind of like the, the bar for those. And will they sit on top of Series 1, or will it be like you have to choose which yeah, one to they'll use? Run, they'll run simultaneously. Uh, they'll give you a third mastery tick if if you have the other two done already. They're, it's totally independent um, from Series 1. Neat. Yeah, I wasn't familiar yeah, with and that. In terms of like where we're at there, uh, we've been working on the phase of design that we would call paper design, so we're putting them into a big, big document. There's a lot of champions now. Um <laughs> And, and you know, discussing and debating and that, that sort of thing, and going to players on Twitter and talking. Uh, we haven't built any yet because we're making a bunch of improvements to our tools to make sure that that goes smoothly. When you're building like 150 plus sets of three, it's a lot of work. So yeah, um, yeah still still in ideation, still in the design phase, which is the perfect time for players to like reach out and make suggestions. I've been getting a lot of them, but hopefully they'll keep coming because I, I love that. It's you know, it's one of those things where there are certain champions that I play a lot of, but even then, uh, the players that go really deep like have hundred times my games played on my favorite champions. Yeah. They understand them at a level that I'll never be able to obtain, and so I I really value their opinion and feedback from these mains and stuff like that. So I, I really love when they reach out and they're like, "Hey, you know, million master, a million mastery, so and so player, I want to talk about Eternals." I'm like, "Yes, let's talk about <laughs> Eternals. Let's talk or whatever, whatever about the champion." I just love to hear that because I just simply will never have the time or the interest i'm kind of like a serial uh alt player i don't really one trick that yeah. much in league i like to play different champions all the time I, I do just play jungle primarily but i like to play everybody 
myself uh, as so well. So I'm really fascinated when someone has that level of mastery and can talk about every detail down to like the the animation timing and their issues. Oh, yeah. How, yeah. What they liked about season three's iteration and what they didn't like about this update. I love that. That's something that always fascinates me. When you can talk to somebody who has that level of experience on a champion, that may seem basic. That may seem like a very simple champion. And then there's just so many little intricacies in their kit that you can see them eke out advantages with. Um, there's like a lot of really interesting things. Like for example, a champion that I don't know a lot about, but I, I watch some streamers who focus on them, uh, Trindamir. There's like so many different little things in his kit yeah. that just... I never knew anything about and like you can do some crazy stuff with it. Um, so yeah, I must imagine that must be interesting. Um, this is an interesting question too. Cause I don't know, actually know what happens in terms of this process when a new champion comes out. Uh, have you guys already like thought of Eternals for that champion? Like, or is that something that you wait to see what the community might be interested in and then approach that later? Yeah, so that that one is interesting because uh, for any existing champion, I know them or the other designers working at Eternals like know them well enough to build Eternals or mm-hmm. at least to have a conversation with players to like get feedback on our ideas. When it comes to a new champion, because I'm no longer on the champions team, I'm pretty removed and I usually don't really know what they're up to. Um, sometimes I have no idea. Sometimes I've heard some things. So what we've ended up doing there, and this has worked pretty well so far, um, like for like Lilia, for example, uh, Yone's are coming out next week is we sit down with their designer and they design them like, because they know when they design the kit, like here's what's intended to be the high moments. Here's what's intended to be skill expressive. And so, you know, here's what's intended to be interesting, whether or not that that resonates with players in six months, it's hard to say, but at least hopefully when the champion comes out, they get their new external set, uh, the patch after ideally, Mm -hmm. hopefully we're close enough that at least that first set is really interesting. And um, one cool thing about that is if players have bought into the, series one pass they just get those they just get them when they come out they don't have to do anything further they just work uh but yeah we do have to have somebody build them ahead of time because when the champion comes out those eternals are actually running silently oh really data yeah they're already running but silently because we want to get data so we know like on average how often do players do this thing that we ask them to do and then we uh all we do the next patch is we tune them and then turn them on with that tuning to make sure that the experience is like hopefully pretty good this could we be don't want a, it to take like 200 games. We don't want it to take five games to like finish it. This could be getting a little too in the weeds, but it, when when that happens, are you producing like more than what is probably going to go out? Like like for example, for a champion like Yone, mm-hmm. would you produce like ten or so Eternals, and then when champ people actually start playing them, you focus it down to the amount that's appropriate based on like what people actually care about. Yeah, we haven't we haven't been building extras early. Mm-hmm. Uh except in the case of Senna because her designer August decided to, so he <laughs> built some extra ones, but no, the ask of them is to try to like make a compelling set of 3 and let's ship those. Um and not have extra ones running that might collect data that we're mm-hmm. not going to use for months or a year or something like that. So yeah, typically it's it's just the the 3 in starter series and the 3 in series 1. Um that are running at the beginning and that, and that are built. I mean, some designers will put thought into it. They usually come to me with more than three ideas. They'll come with like 10 and we'll talk about the pros and cons of them and, and hone that list down to three. So we have the ideas, but now we don't usually ask them to build anything. It's just kind of like wasted work in the short yeah. term, because like you said, like you had pointed out, maybe they have those ideas, but then 
by the time we get to the next series, maybe players have kind of dictated like the direction they're taking this champion is different than what we had assumed. So those that those Eternals would be like wasted work anyways. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine how that would be. Um, yeah, fun to explain to a product manager. <laughs> they're like, hey, why did we yeah. put man hours into this that nobody's actually using? <laughs> Um, okay, so we're we're off dock now. Did you have anything you wanted to talk about that that you didn't have a chance to cover so far? I mean, nothing comes to mind. I I do want to echo. I really appreciate being invited on. It's a lot of fun, and hopefully, we'll have some topics we can talk about uh, in the future. I'd be yeah, it was, it was really good to have you on. It was. Um, I know it was. I've been I've been trying to get more and more different people on because I feel like um, the circle of people that myself and Larry and a few other uh, partners of the show have is very, um, very condensed. And I feel like we're getting a lot of the same sort of answers and stuff every time. So I've been trying to reach out to people outside of my personal network and outside of Larry's personal network to really try and get a different perspective on things. And it can be difficult to, because a lot of the times what happens is like how I reached out to you. I was like, I just messaged you on Twitter and uh, it took a few days and I thought, oh, he doesn't want to do it. Um, and when you got back to me, I'm like, oh, wow, I was really excited. And uh, um, But yeah, yeah I'm that's, not good about that's a struggle. My DMs. Like, I leave my DMs open. This is a caveat for all players. I leave my DMs open, but I'm not good about keeping up with them. And uh, I feel bad about that, which is why your message is sat there. <laughs> um, yeah, I think uh, I, I enjoyed that, that process, though, because I had said on Twitter, I always love to talk about stuff. I'm always willing to explain my reasoning even Mm -hmm. if players don't agree with it i think like as a player i really appreciate it when developers i always have would come out and talk in an honest way about like here's what we're doing trying not to hit me with too much pr not trying to hit me with too much dishonesty just like be honest about it so i try to do that as much as i'm able right and i really enjoyed how i said i want to have that conversation and then you were like well i've got a podcast (laughs) for you like immediately i'm like this is my chance (laughs) but but i am I'm, i'm really happy to talk about it um you know, really happy to be honest, even if that involves apologies or or uh, admitting like we we miss the mark or I miss the mark or whatever. I think that those are good conversations to have, and I'm always down to talk about it. Awesome, yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I really wish we could have had Larry on as well because I know this would have been a great three way conversation. Uh, maybe in the future we can have you back on again to talk about whatever, um, and we'll we'll have Larry on that time. Um, if yeah, you want to catch anytime. Literally anytime, especially right anytime. now during the pandemic. Oof. Um, yep. If you want to catch Zeno, if you aren't familiar with him, his at Twitter handle is at Xenogenic. Um, down there in the bottom of the screen, if you're watching the video version, I'll also have it in the description and everything, so you can catch him there. Uh, do you have any other platforms that you want to plug? Nope, that's it. I primarily use Twitter. I really, I prefer it because I can have more personal conversations with people, and even though we're restricted to like so many characters, uh, it's still easier for me to like talk to a person one-on-one so i really love that so yeah that's a good way and i usually try to be active on there every day awesome um if you like the show if you like dev dive uh you can follow us on twitch twitch.tv slash nighthawk 20,000 uh catch us live usually every wednesday we've missed some weeks just because of scheduling problems but usually every wednesday if you can't catch it live and you still want to watch the video check out youtube.com slash nighthawk 20,000 i'll have the vods on there pretty much the night of the show so you won't miss anything um, and if you can't watch, you can always listen on audio platforms. We're on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, pretty much everything out there. Give us a follow, a rating. It helps the show. Share it with friends. We really appreciate it. And thank you for coming out. Appreciate you guys so much.